Right. If you have a Bible and you can get it, go ahead and open it to Numbers chapter 18. Numbers chapter 18. Uh, we're doing a series right now going through the book of Numbers. And um, we, what we're doing is we're, we're looking at these lessons that the people of God were learning in the, in the wilderness. They're walking through a season of life that was really challenging, and so we're walking with them, and uh, we're, we're learning together with them. So I'm going to read Numbers 18, starting in verse 8, all the way through the end. It is lengthy, and it is bizarre, so I'm just prepping you for that right now. I'll try to explain why this might be relevant for you, but in the meantime, try. <laughs> just try to hang with me for a second or two, and... Uh, See what we can do. This is Numbers 18, starting in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Aaron, I myself have put you in charge of the offerings presented to me. All the holy offerings the Israelites give me, I give to you and your sons as your portion, your perpetual share. You are to have the part of the most holy offerings that is kept from the fire. From all the gifts they bring me as most holy offerings, whether grain or sin or guilt offerings, that part belongs to you and your sons. Eat it as something most holy. Every male shall eat it. You must regard it as holy. This also is yours. Whatever is set aside from the gifts of all the wave offerings of the Israelites, I give this to you and your sons and daughters as your perpetual share. Everyone in your household who is ceremonially clean may eat it. I give you all the finest olive oil and all the finest new wine and grain they give the Lord as first fruits of their harvest. All the land's first fruits that they bring to the Lord will be yours. Everyone in your household who is ceremonially clean may eat it. Everything in Israel that is devoted to the Lord is yours. The first offspring of every womb, both human and animal, that is offered to the Lord is yours. But you must redeem every firstborn son and every firstborn male of unclean animals. When they are a month old, you must redeem them at the redemption price set at five shekels of silver according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 garaz. But you must not redeem the firstborn of a cow, a sheep, or a goat. They are holy. Splash their blood against the altar and burn their fat as a food offering and aroma pleasing to the Lord. Their meat is to be yours, just as the breast of the wave offering and the thigh, the right thigh, are yours. Whatever is set aside from the holy offerings the Israelites present to the Lord, I give to you and your sons and daughters as your perpetual share. It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord for both you and your offspring. The Lord said to Aaron, You will have no inheritance in their land, nor will you have any share among them. I am your share and your inheritance among the Israelites. I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. From now on, the Israelites must not go near the tent of meeting or they will bear the consequences of their sin and will die. It is the Levites who are to do the work at the tent of meeting and bear the responsibility for any offenses they commit against it. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. They will receive no inheritance among the Israelites. Instead, I give to the Levites as their inheritance the tithes that the Israelites present as an offering to the Lord. That is why I said concerning them, they will have no inheritance among the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Levites and say to them, When you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. Your offering will be reckoned to you as grain from the threshing floor or juice from the winepress. 
In this way, you also will present an offering to the Lord from all the tithes you receive from the Israelites. From these tithes, you must give the Lord's portion to Aaron the priest. You must present as the Lord's portion the best and holiest part of everything given to you. Say to the Levites, when you present the best part, it will be reckoned to you as the product of the, of the threshing floor or the wine press. You and your households may eat the rest of it anywhere, for it is your wages for the work for your work at the tent of meeting. By presenting the best part of it, you will not be guilty of this matter. Then you will not defile the holy offerings of the Israelites, and you will not die. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that by your Spirit, through your Word, you would speak to us. Help us, Lord, in these moments to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You drove out here today, or you tuned in online, you're probably thinking, good grief, Cor, what does this have to do with me? What a bizarre thing to choose to preach on. Don't you have a choice on what you get to preach on, but um, the truth is this is an important passage because it helps us understand what God is up to with his people. And uh, first off, let me just try to draw some clear lines for us, because you might even be wondering, having gone through this lesson together with us, where did this come from? What, is this, what does this have to do with anything? What, what happened is in chapter 16, there was a challenge against the leaders. The leadership was challenged. So there's a group of people and they looked at Moses and Aaron and they said, why do you guys get to call all the shots? All of us have the Lord. All of us are holy to the Lord. Any of us then, especially myself, could make decisions on leadership. And so there was a grumbling there and leadership was challenged. Well, in chapter 17, leadership is confirmed. God does something drastic or dramatic to say, these are the individuals that I have appointed to leadership. And you will know then, after we do this incredible thing that they are anointed to the task. Well, now in chapter 18, now that you've got leadership on the forefront and it's been, it's been challenged and confirmed, now it is institutionalized, meaning it's, it's, it's dealing with the issue of if we have leaders, how do we maintain them? How do we keep leaders around? What's the strategy for making sure that we have a system and a process for keeping spiritual leaders around. I was reading an article this week and it indicated that the majority of pastors right now are considering leaving the ministry permanently. The majority. Given the stuff that's going on in our culture right now and the challenges of spiritual leadership, that's a very troubling reality. But many pastors right now are saying, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't realize what I was getting myself into. I didn't realize how mean-spirited sheep can be. I didn't realize how incredibly challenging it can be to lead through a season like this. So many are leaving the faith. So how do we set up a system that would maintain healthy spiritual leadership? I was talking to Ellie this week, and she was mentioning, uh, she organizes the weddings here, manages the weddings here, and she said in passing, there aren't many pastors out here anymore. Meaning, you know, obviously there are a lot of reasons for it, but the, you know, anecdotally you can just say that when people are making one of the most significant decisions in their life, it's troubling that they're not going to a pastor for spiritual guidance. They're going to a buddy who can get ordained online. And that's just kind of the scenario that we're dealing with. So when God is dealing with spiritual leadership and he's saying leadership matters, it matters tremendously. Look at what happened in chapter 16. Look at what happened in chapter 17. Well, now chapter 18, he's saying, here is the way in which we can support spiritual leadership. And a lot of the concepts there are foreign to us, but there are some principles 
that are relevant and timely for us today. So this is going to teach us something about giving and resources, and um, we're going to talk about uh, financially giving to local churches and Christian organizations and things like that. If you're new to our church or newer to the faith or you're tuning in online, we are not after your money. Uh, as a church, we are not looking to grow our church into some big uh, monstrosity. We're not trying to get rich off of this thing, but I feel a, a need as a, as a pastor to speak into this so that we would have categories to think about what is, spiritual, what is giving to spiritual leaders actually look like? What would that look like if it were healthy? So, lessons on giving, lessons on resources in general, and then we'll think about some of the gospel connections as we get to the end. So, lessons on giving. The first thing that I note here is that there are some people who have full-time responsibilities to the Lord and are to be supported by the community. Let me say that again. There are some people who have been appointed to full-time responsibility, doing work to the Lord, and they are supported by the generosity of of the community at large. Look at verse 7. This is before where we started reading, but it's important. This is God speaking, and he says, I am giving you, Aaron and the Levites and, and the priests, I'm giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. There are people who have been entrusted with this responsibility. It is a grace. This is a gift that God gives to them, and they say, you've got some work to do, but this this calling is really a gracious calling. You are given a gift. I'm giving it to you. It goes on in verse 8 to say, God again, I myself have put you in charge of the offerings presented to me. Their work has something to do with the temple and all the gifts that are being brought there and all the offerings that are being designated there. But then in verse 23, it tells us specifically, this is a work. This is a job. Verse 23, it is the Levites, this tribe, it is the Levites who are to do the work of, at the tent of meeting and bear the responsibility for any offenses they commit against it. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. There's a work to be done, and there's a people who are assigned to it. This is your job. This is what you do. You deal with these items, and you are given over full time to this, and we're going to support you in this work. That's what's going on here. So, when we think about this, we recognize there's a, there's a reality that God has set up from a long, long time ago whereby some people are called to full-time work. That's been my privilege. That's the gracious gift I've received. I've been doing full-time ministry for 18 years now. Now, the first five were uh, action sports ministry, and it was not a profitable ministry, so you might call that volunteering. Uh, but for 18 years, what I have spent my life on is work unto the Lord. And I'm able to do that because of the generosity of many of you. It is a privilege, it is a tremendous grace, and it comes with a responsibility. But that is the arrangement that God has instituted, and I get to benefit from it. I have time to do things like study the Bible, and I get to prepare messages, and I get to preach in different environments like this one, and I get to visit hospitals and perform weddings and funerals, and I get to do pastoral counseling and all of that, and I have the time and the energy and the wherewithal to do that because you are able to support the ministry of our church. It is a gift. It is a tremendous gift. Now, on your end, as we see here in our chapter, your responsibility is to give generously, is to give generously. We'll talk about that in just a moment, but the community is to value the work of its spiritual leaders 
and support that work with generosity. So here's another thing that I find here. Giving then is a sacred activity. It is a sacred activity. I, so when we talk about giving, we're not just saying we've got an organization here to run. We've got to figure out how to pay the bills. No, when we talk about giving as believers, we say when we participate in giving generously to local churches and to the advancement of the mission of God in the world, we are participating in the transcendent. This is a sacred activity. First off, it's because it's aimed at God. Look at verse 8 at the end there. All the holy offerings the Israelites give me, I give to you and your sons as your portion, your perpetual share. People are giving, and God is saying, and I'm gifting that to the spiritual leaders, but he's saying, but, but listen, here's something that you need to recognize. They're giving it to me. They're not giving to you. That's my job. That's God's job. He's saying, I give to you, but they're ultimately giving to me, God is saying. So this is a holy activity because you're not, you're not giving to our church when you write your check or donate online. You are giving to the Lord. That should give you a great peace of mind that you are off the hook then because you're just giving it to God and you're saying, and it's, it, it's their problem how they manage those funds. They're accountable. In fact, I'll be meeting with the elders after church today and we'll talk about some budgetary things, but, but it's on us. We, we feel that weight and that gravity of, if you're giving to the Lord, and these are his resources, we want to make sure that they're appropriately allocated. So you give to the Lord. That's what makes it sacred. You are giving to God. But additionally, it's spelled out very clear. The activity itself is a holy activity. Look at verse 10. You must regard it as holy. What you are doing is holy. This is otherworldly stuff. So I have no hesitation then to encourage people to consider giving because it's not really about us running an organization. It's about you participating in the transcendent. So if you've never given before and I'm speaking about giving, it's because I care about you having a spiritual encounter with God. And when you give to him, it is a holy activity. It's a sacred activity. Well, it's to be done with generosity and there are a lot of things here that point in this direction, but the giving is to be done generously. And I'll give you three different ways in which generosity shows up. The first one is, it is proportionate. Giving is proportionate to income. In other words, there's a relationship between what you make or earn or receive and what you give. There's a, there's a relationality between what you make and what you give to the Lord. There's a proportion there. And in fact, in our text here, over and over again, it's re referred to as the tithe. It's, an, it's a word that means 10%. 10% of what you have earned, give over to the work of the Lord. So look at verse 21. I give to the Levites all the tithes, there's that word, all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. They are giving in proportion to what they are making. So they've got a harvest, they bring in some of the harvest, they take portion of that, in this case, 10%, and they say this 10% goes to the temple. This 10% goes to the work of the Lord. This 10% goes to advance God's agenda in this world. Verse 26, speak to the, to the Levites and say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tithe, you, you must present a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. So even, even the priests are also participating. So if you're a spiritual worker, that doesn't mean you're omitted from this arrangement. Like, oh, I, 
you know, I get, I draw a salary from the church, so I don't really have to think about giving. No, no, no. Even the Levites are participating in giving. They get their tithe, but then off of that, they're also presenting a tenth of that back to the Lord's offering. So, when we think about being generous, we should think about giving in proportion to our income. So as we get a paycheck, we think about what part of this can I give to advance the church, to advance the mission of God in this world. Now, 10% is obviously here in our text. It is a very important number. We should be thinking about 10%. That's a good thing to aim at. But let me just say that people have argued over whether or not that 10% carries forward and whether or not it's relevant in the New Testament and beyond. Let me just say this. From my perspective, a lot of the concepts in the Old Testament as they go from old to new, they don't diminish. They're ramped up. They, they get ratcheted up. They go, so, so you don't go from the Old Testament where it's like, yeah, they had to give 10%. That was a part of like their tax or whatever. And now we're in this new arrangement. We don't have to do that. No, no, no. It doesn't go down. I would say it goes up. So we begin to think in terms of 100%. It all belongs to God. And what, what we want to give ought to reflect our commitment to him. Let me give you two examples from the New Testament. One is a widow who put a mite, which is a designation of money from back then, in the offering. And the, Jesus was there and he looked at that and he said, guys, I want to draw your attention here. This is amazing. What this woman gave, it was, it was next to nothing monetarily. It was, it was nothing. But it was everything she had. It was 100%. And he said, that, that, my friends, is generosity. Draws attention to it, memorializes it, honors it because she gives with a generous heart. 100% in that case. What about Zacchaeus? Another individual in the New Testament encounters the Lord, has a spiritual experience with the Lord, has a, it comes to saving faith. He experiences salvation is how the text puts it. Then he makes some reforms immediately. He says, look, I'm going to change how I deal with money. And he doesn't go, you know what, guys? You know, I met the Lord today. I'm going to start today giving 10%. No, what does he do? 50%. Day one, 50%. He says, I'll give half of everything that I have. And if I've wronged anyone, I'll pay them back as well. 50% in that case. So here's my pastoral recommendation. Start somewhere and aim at 10. And if you can, go well beyond it. So if you're, if you're not accustomed to this idea of giving proportionate to your income, let me encourage you to, to try to begin this process of looking at your paycheck and saying, what could I set aside? What could I designate to the Lord? All of this is His. Everything that I make is his, but I'm going to take a portion of it, designate it to the Lord, and begin giving it. Now, maybe that's 2% on day one, and you start there. And then you go, but I'm going, to, I'm going to aim at growing this, and I'm going to aim at 10%, maybe 2% this month, and then we'll, we'll go from there. We'll make some revisions to the budget, but aim for 10 And then listen, if you have the means to go beyond 10%, why not? If, if you have the ability and God is laying it on your heart, then why not go for more and be incredibly gen generous? But generosity is tied to proportionality, meaning when you bring something in, you look at the entirety and you go, I'm going to take a portion of this and I'm going to gift it to the work of the Lord. Well, it's also comprehensive. Giving, giving generously is comprehensive in the sense that when, when we think about gen generosity, we shouldn't think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to partition off a part of my life or a part of my resources, and that belongs to God, but the rest is mine. 
Like, I'm just going to deal with it however I want. No, what we find in this text and all over in the Bible is the reality that it's all God's. And we have, we have an obligation to think about money and resources and time and, and what we have in a way that reflects this comprehensive reality. It's all His. In fact, let me show it to you from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. It says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He, God, who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So you don't go around going, I earned this. This is my keep. I worked so hard to do this because at the end of the day, here's what you have to acknowledge. Even your ability to produce is a gift from God. The job that you have, and I acknowledge you maybe worked very hard to get to that position, but that you are there is a gift of God. It is the Lord who gave you the ability to produce wealth. So it's all His. 100% of it, all of you, your entire life, it's all owing to God. So we need to think in those categories of not only do I want my paycheck to to be proportionately given over to the Lord, I also want everything that I do to reflect this comprehensive reality. So let's look at it in our text here. I'm just going to highlight all the different ways in which the people give. They give wave offerings in verse 11. They give the finest of olive oils in verse 12. They give the finest of wine in verse 12. They give the first fruits of the harvest in verse 12. They give the redemption price of the firstborn in verse 15. They give meat in verse 18. They give wave offerings in verse 18. There's also uh, the thigh of meat and all these other things. But over and over again, it's saying, these people didn't just say, I've got this little area of my life that I'm willing to give to God, but the rest of it's all mine. No, they looked at everything and they said, all of this is owing to the fact that God gave us the ability to produce. So 100% of it is his, and I'm going to look at how I can use that to advance his agenda in this world. So that's the question that we need to be wrestling with. How can we honor God with everything? We start with a proportion, and we give it to the local church and other Christian organizations, but we, we should also think about, what do I do with the remainder? How can I manage my, my resources in a way that's pleasing to God? How can I spend money in a way that actually would make God smile? So everything that I have should reflect His glory. I want to be comprehensive in the way that I think about generosity. Finally, uh, we find that generosity also includes quality. That When we think about giving to God, we think about giving Him the best. In verse 12, we're told that they dealt with the finest and the first. So verse 12, I gave you all the finest olive oil and the finest new wine and grain that they gave to the Lord as the first fruits of their harvest. So they give the best. Say, this is the best wine that I've got. This is the, the, the best that I've got, the best olive oil that I've got. And this is the first. So what comes in first right away is going to the Lord. It's the first fruits. I'm going to trust that the rest is going to come in as well, but I'm giving God the best. In fact, it goes on to explain that in verse 29 toward the end. You must present as the Lord's portion the best and the holiest part of everything given to you. You Think about what you could give to God, and you're not going, I don't want this part, so you can have it. You're not going, okay, this, this wouldn't affect me at all. No, you look at it and you go, I owe everything to God, so I want to give Him the finest of all that I have, the best, the first. And in fact, when you don't do that, the Bible tells us that we're dealing with God in terms of contempt that we're treating the Lord with contempt when we say, I'm not going to give him the best. He doesn't get that. I get that. We're we're dealing in terms of contempt. In fact, in Malachi, 
prophet, a book in the Bible, he's critiquing the people and he's saying, you have treated the Lord with contempt. And they said, when have we done that? We, we like the Lord. We love the Lord. And he says, here's when you've shown contempt. Malachi 1.8, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? It's saying, look, when you give, you are treating the Lord with contempt. When you take something that you don't even want, and you pretend like that's sacrificial to give it away. Here, God, I don't want this anyways. This is my lame gift. This is my crippled gift. This is something I could easily part ways with. And the Bible says, try that with your taxes, right? Like, you recognize that doesn't make sense, that people are not going to be satisfied with you giving away things that, you, that, that don't cost you anything. So we should be giving God a quality offering. We should be giving God the very best. We should be thinking about giving Him the first and the finest. And so we find that generosity includes proportionality, that it's comprehensive, and that it's quality. Well, you might wonder, okay, Cor. This is all from the Old Testament. It's all very strange and odd. Does this stuff really carry forward? So let me just quickly draw a couple of parallels to the New Testament. The idea of supporting spiritual workers is clearly taught in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, it's a letter written about pastoral ministry, and it says, here's the deal. The elders, and that's a term they use in a variety of ways, kind of speaking about pastors and overseers, the elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor. And that has a connotation of finances. In it. They're worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. You're like, okay, Core, now I see what you're doing. Um, subtle there, dude. But it's saying that you should handsomely reward those whose work it is to oversee the church. You should do that, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And then it goes on in verse 18 to make it very plain. The worker deserves his wages. When we think about church and supporting spiritual leaders, one of the prominent uh, themes that I've heard, I've not experienced it personally, by the way, but a lot of churches will say things like this. It's our job to keep the pastor humble. We don't want to overpay a pastor. That would be, that would be troubling. So we'll just, we'll just meagerly reward that individual or that team. And the Bible speaks in a different way and says, no, no, no. Just like it was taught in the Old Testament, be very, very generous toward spiritual leaders. And you don't have to give to our church. I'm not trying to get your money again. You can give, I can give you a list of all kinds of great organizations, but we need to be generous toward spiritual leaders, believing that they deserve fair compensation. And in fact, uh, R. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on numbers, he says, uh, the math on this... Um, Everybody is giving 10% of their resources to 4% of the population. And he's doing the math from the book of Numbers and the size of that tribe versus everyone else. He's saying it's 4%. But 10% of all of the resources are going in their direction. They ought to be well compensated. But in reality, Deuteronomy tells us they're impoverished. Unfortunately, what do we do? We don't want to part ways with our resources. And so spiritual leaders are often under-resourced and impoverished. Well, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 speak into the other ideas that I've already shared about being generous. And so 2 Corinthians is a New Testament teaching where it talks about giving as being 
holy and proportionate and comprehensive and of good quality and overall just generous. And it goes on to say like this, that when we give, we ought to make those preparations so that we can fulfill those intentions of being generous. It says it like this, finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. We want to be the kind of people who strategize to be generous and prepare for it so that when the day comes, we're ready and we give it gladly. And in fact, it goes on to talk about giving with a joyful heart and how that is pleasing to the Lord. So, this chapter teaches us about giving, but it also teaches us a more foundational reality, and that is the reality of resources in general. How should we think about what we have? And, and what we find here in verse 20 is kind of a paradigm for how believers should consider all their stuff. And so the, the Levites, the tribe, the workers, the spiritual leaders, they become a prototype for how all of us should feel about money. So let's look at it again. This is verse 20, and here's what it says. The Lord said to Aaron, you will have no inheritance in their land, nor will you have any share among them. I am your share and your inheritance among the Israelites. I don't know if you guys do financial management. I do some online stuff with Mint. And one of the things I love looking at, especially the last couple of years, is my net worth, Ash and I's net worth because of our home value and how it's just gone up and up and up. There's my inheritance. There's my, there's my value, right? There's my net worth. And here God is saying, they don't have that. They don't have an inheritance. They don't have a home. They don't have values being driven up. They don't have this inheritance. They're not going to even have one ever because here's the arrangement. The Lord says, I'm their inheritance. I'm their reward. I'm their share. God is saying, at the end of the day, here's why this assignment is such a gracious gift. He's saying, they get me. They get me, and that's enough. When you think about money, and you think about your relationship to it, you ought to be able to adopt that posture. That what we care most about is that we have the Lord. That we get Him. That if we had God, that would be enough. That would be sufficient for us. That would be our inheritance and our portion. God is the reward, and that's how a true believer ought to feel. We ought to think about the stuff that we have and come to the conclusion, if I have God, I have all that I need. In fact, Psalm 73 puts it like this. This is a prayer, but it's the same sentiment. It, it reads like this. Whom have I in heaven but you? So praying to God, who do I have in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart might fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's how we ought to think about resources. What we want most is not a big bottom line, a big net worth. What we want most is God. He's our inheritance. He's our portion. He is our reward. The Lord taught a very similar lesson in Matthew chapter 6. He tells us that we should value and treasure the things of heaven. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
The thing that you should value most is your relationship with God and resources are a means to that end. Use your resources to try to increase your love for God. Use your resources. Use your money to try to give to advance His agenda in the world. Use the remainder of those resources that you might say, okay, I have, I have ability to use this how, however I see fit and say, I'm going to use that then to glorify God. I'm going to spend money on the stuff that makes Him happy. I'm going to try to use that money in a way that's pleasing to Him. So this has taught us about giving to the local church and Christian organizations. It's taught us to think a little bit better about resources, but here's the last thing we need to do. What does this have to do with the gospel? What does this have to do with our Lord Jesus Christ? What does this teach us about the good news of the Lord Himself? And this is a little bit tricky because obviously the Lord is not present in our text in a very prominent way, but, but I one of the things that I was thinking through this week is we have a Lord who is a priest, but he's the best of priests. We have a spiritual leader in Jesus Christ who is better than any Levitical priest that ever was. And in fact, the writer to the Hebrews makes that very plain. He writes his letter, and one of his main arguments there is Jesus is better. He's better than any of the Old Testament stuff we've ever witnessed. And specifically in chapter 7, 8, and 9, he says Jesus is better than the Levitical priesthood. He is a priest unlike other high priests. This is chapter 7, verse 27. He does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Here's what it's saying. What he did is finished. Why do we have to set up a system whereby spiritual leaders are supported, where we can say this has some sustainability to it. We're going to give our resources and they're going to have income and they're going to be able to keep doing this because they have to offer sacrifices daily. They have to keep going back. They have to keep going back to the temple to deal with the fact that we're sinners. But here's what the Lord did. He he finished it. He offered himself once for all. He made the sacrifice for sinners and is, is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He's now making intercession for us. But he offered himself and it is done. We don't have to support his ministry. He did it on his own. And in fact, that's the point made in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where it talks about the ministry of the Lord. And here's why this is so significant. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, I mean, he has it all. It's all his. Everything is his. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's the good news of the gospel. You don't have to support, you don't have to write a check to that ministry. Jesus funded it himself. He became poor so that you, through his poverty, through his humiliation on the cross, through that, you might become exceedingly rich. Getting the inheritance that will never spoil or fade. You get God. And that is enough. Let me pray. Lord, we ask right now that you would Help us to believe that you are our inheritance and our portion and that the most important thing that we have is secure because of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would help us to store up our treasures in heaven, that we would have our hearts and our minds fixed on those realities. But Lord, we also want it to be boots on the ground. We want to have a faith that is very practical, so help us to be generous people. 
Help us to use the resources that we have to advance your mission in this world. We pray for local churches and we pray that they are well resourced. We pray for ministers of the gospel and we ask God that they would be well compensated. We pray, God, that uh, ministries of mercy and care and compassion would have everything that they need to meet real and tangible needs. And we pray for our church that we would participate in that in a dramatic way. Lord, let us use our resources for your glory. For it's all about you. We pray in your name.